Uh, welcome to Front and Center, a social justice podcast coming to you from the Center at Lincoln School in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm your host, Barrett Fabrice, Director of the Center, and we're excited to bring you this podcast that will touch upon issues close to home here at Lincoln, but also speak to larger social trends and narratives that often go unheard. You'll hear student, faculty, staff, and other voices from the Providence community. And if there's something you want to hear, let us know. All right, let's get going. So today we're talking about colorblindness in our schools. You might have heard or even said something along the lines of, I don't see color, I just see people. Or maybe, we're all just people. But there lies a problem with these statements, especially in our independent school environment here at Lincoln. Michelle Alexander, author of The New Jim Crow, defines our current era as the era of colorblindness. So what does this all mean? To address this reality, we're joined by the co-presidents of our Student Social Justice Club 2B1 here at Lincoln, Ashley and Emmy. Hello. Thanks for being here. So before we get going, um, could you two let us know a little bit about 2B1? Um, so 2B1 started um, was started by a couple of the girls here at Lincoln, um, predominantly the students of color, and it was initially like an affinity space um, that provided them with an outlet and just a uh, safe space for them to express how they feel. Um, and since then, it has transformed into a broader social justice club, but we still focus on race issues. Yeah, so like Ashley said, it kind of has two focuses. So one is being a safe space for discussion and community gathering about race, and then also actively addressing um, racism and race-related issues, both in the school and the greater community. So we lead a day that brings in workshop leaders and all different people to the school to um, evoke conversation. And then we're also doing a series of assemblies and announcements and helpful resources called To Be Informed that helps our school community engage in these conversations. Awesome. So quick question. How many students can be involved in this? Is it limited or can it be from any grade? Um, it's open to all students in the upper school, um, 9 through 12, and you don't necessarily have to have any background in social justice work. Um, it's open basically to everyone. The center door is always open for those who want to come in during clubs period. Um, and then also for those who are in the middle school and want to be involved in social justice, there is Cafe Club, which we are going to start to work with this year. Great. So going back to the topic uh, of colorblindness, so asking the two of you, have you heard at any point people talking about colorblindness or kind of use it in a positive light? Yeah, so I think that this is a really common phrase and it actually is usually said, I think from a more liberal political scene that people will use this statement as a positive way of showing that they're accepting or that they're not quote unquote racist and that they just see people and they don't see color and obviously that's um, problematic but uh, what's interesting is that it comes from like a positive like stance or like look at me I'm so educated and like this is what I believe. Um, so uh, recently um, I, there's a really popular film called Get Out and one of the first things one of the parents tells so basically there's a black man who goes visit his um, white girlfriend's family in like upstate somewhere in New England, mm -hmm. Vermont, Maine, up New York. Um, and one of the first things the father says to him is, um, yeah, I don't see color. You know, I voted for President Obama in 2018. I mean, t 2008. Um, and I think that the, I oftentimes hear that um, by older white people 
who try to make me feel, in an attempt to make me feel comfortable, they say that. So do you, do you think people who are saying it in a positive light are just thinking that they're being socially kind of conscious as a whole? I think sometimes the backstory behind it is that your race isn't the most important part of you, which one could see as a positive note. But I think the really negative side of that is that it doesn't acknowledge race and it doesn't acknowledge racism and it doesn't acknowledge all of the differences that people have, which is how we actually move towards acceptance and peace. Okay. Do you think it's, it's a, it's a common thing that you hear about from kids your age? Um, I think mostly white kids. I think, yeah, mostly, yeah, white kids. Um, I, yeah, just adding on to what Emmy said, I think it's just, it's interesting because my race as a person of color, um, is very much a part of my everyday life. And to hear someone say that they don't see it in some regards um, initially makes me feel good because it kind of feels like, oh, well, like, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. part of the club. Like, yay, like racism doesn't exist for you. Um, but on the other hand, it's kind of erasing my experience. I think also going off of what you said, like, oh, like makes you feel like you're part of the club. Like that's also like problematic in the sense that like we all have to have the same race to be. Part of the club. So what do you think about the the argument that people make against adopting kind of a colorblind perspective in that if you say you're colorblind, you're equating color with something negative, right? I don't see color. That makes me a better person. I don't see color. That makes me more inclusive. I don't see color. That makes me more of a social justice advocate. So people who say that, the counterpoint to that is, well, like if you don't see it, all right. If you're not acknowledging it, then you're actually saying that's a negative thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing about that, like, comment within itself is that by saying you're colorblind, you're aware of the fact that society treats people differently based on color. Cultural, social, and political writer Ta-Nehisi Coates recently spoke on these issues when addressing the relationship between language, race, and power. When you're white in this country, you're taught that everything belongs to you. You think you have a right to everything. You got a right to go with you. I mean, and you're conditioned this way. It's not, you know, because you, you know, your hair is a texture or your skin is light. It's the fact that the laws and the culture tell you this. You got a right to go where you want to go, do what you want to do, be however. And people just got to accommodate themselves to you. So here comes this word that, you know, you feel like you invented. And now somebody will tell you how to use the word that you invented. You know, well, why can't I use it? Everyone else gets to use it. You know what? That's racism that I don't get to use it. You know, that's racist against me. You know, I have to inconvenience myself and, and hear this song, and I can't sing along? How come I can't sing along? You know what I mean? And I think, you know, uh, uh, for white people, I think the experience of being a hip-hop fan and not being able to use the word, actually very, very insightful, it will give you just a little peek into the world of what it means to be black. Because, <laughs> because to be black is to walk through the world and watch people doing things that you cannot do, that you can't join in and do, you know? And so I think there's actually a lot to be learned from refraining. So by doing that, you're like kind of like 
you're aware of the the role of society in our individual lives, but then kind of contrasting yourself by saying, well, me as an individual, I don't see color. Right. Right. Or I'm ignoring it. Which, I don't know. I think it's just, you can say, like, you can, I don't know. I think what Emmy was saying before, like, you can say, um, I, like, your race doesn't affect the way I see you. I'm, oh, no, you can't really say that. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. It's kind of tricky because... It's coming from a good place. It's not like outright racist, and I don't. I wouldn't consider it racist. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you wouldn't consider uh, that's a good point. Remember, you're about to say you wouldn't consider it racist, right? I mean, but I guess to kind of build off of that, if if somebody who's in a position of privilege says it, is right. it racist because it's coming from a position of privilege? I don't know. I just think I, like, I personally can't say I'm colorblind. Like, I just, that doesn't, I can't say that because that's not true for me because color affects, color or race affects, like, all of the interactions I have. Right, which I think totally connects to your, you going back on saying that it is racist and it is part of racism because the fact that a person of color can't say that they're colorblind just speaks to the structures of society that are racist. Right. I mean, I think a person of color can say they're colorblind, but I just don't think they'd be aware. Like, they're just not aware of how color plays into... Well, like, well, let's, let's get, jump on that. Like, why would a person of color say that they're colorblind? Um, it's kind of like a conversation starter. Like, hey, guys. Like, you know, like, like I was saying before, like, guys, like, it's fine. Like, I understand that you're white. I'm black. But, like, that doesn't matter. Like, I'm trying, you know, like an attempt to, like, sort of like an icebreaker, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As students in an independent school environment, do you find it problematic if a teacher kind of collects you all as a single group and that they don't see color, they don't teach to those differences within the environment? Is that problematic in any way? Yeah, I, yes, 100% yes, because I think that, like we're saying, that the goal shouldn't be to not see difference that's just the goal should be to acknowledge the difference and work together productively but saying that you see your class as one or saying that we're living or we're acting as like a colorblind school is like like we're saying like the like background and the idea might be positive but it's just completely backtracking and all of the progress towards actually acknowledging difference and then working with that. Also, I think that as Lincoln is making obviously an effort to diversify the student population, it's super important that we're also implementing structures that acknowledge the difference and acknowledge the racial diversity in the school and that like to be one and like cafe but also like the affinity groups that we're, that we're adding in like I think it's really important that we're like saying up front like we are trying to diversify our student body but we're also not just bringing in all um white students and students of color mm-hmm. and all different students and just putting them into a one size like fits all model in the school yeah. so you you bring up the affinity groups right that so Lincoln's trying to start affinity groups this year do you think this is going to adequately address colorblindness? What else needs to happen within a school 
to kind of actually talk about this effectively and critically. So how, how does affinity groups fit within this? Well, I think personally for me, one of my, like, as a student of color, when I came in ninth grade, one of the biggest, like, support systems I had was from um, 2B1, which was, like, predominantly um, students of color at the time, and also the person who ran it was a woman of color. And just, I think, uh, having a space where you can just talk freely and look like everyone else, I think, is important. I also think with affinity groups and, like, the colorblindness obviously like brings up like a visual component and like for Morgan Stone Day last two years ago when we did an activity that had posters all over the gym and it was the different identifiers and we had different questions saying um, like which part of your identity do you focus on the most or which part of your identity do you feel like uh, society like oppresses the most and like I think that these types of concrete visual and structural um, exercises and like implementations into Lincoln are super important because it literally and like figuratively addresses clarifying this. Well, I think like a lot of times at Lincoln, like, or just like at independent schools, a lot of times because being like black and like listening to like black music is like trendy and like cool, a lot of times like if I were to approach a group of people, I mean, not here at Lincoln, but I've heard stories of people who walk up to groups of people and then automatically, like, the type of lingo that is used changes. You start saying lit and, like, more, like, like, what's up, B? Like, you know, like, lingo that isn't, like, white? Yeah, that isn't, I mean, not only white, but just, like, an attempt to, like, again, it's it sort of works hand-in-hand hand with colorblindness. It's kind of, like, trying to, like, make the person feel welcomed. Yeah. But then that's, that is within it, like that's stereotyping and like creating like the student of color as being like a monolith that like listens to rap music and like loves like, I don't know, you know, stuff like that. So following the election of of President Obama, there's a lot of, of commentary that came out that says like, all right, look America, we now live in a post-racial society, right? This is now post-racial America. We've elected our first black president. Um, how does colorblindness fit in with that argument? And are we a post-racial society? I think colorblindness would fit into that when people would say, like, oh, like, when I look at our 44th president, is he 44th? I don't know. Okay. Um, I don't see a black man. I just see a president. But I think the point is that you see a black man who is president. But no, we're not living in a post-racial society. Yeah. All right. So let's leave it on that note. So Emmy and Ashley, thanks so much for taking the time to do the, the first podcast. And I hope we can have you guys back again to do it another time. Yes. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Thanks. That's Emmy and Ashley, co-presidents of 2B1 here at Lincoln School. Navigating the conversation around race, gender, class, and identity is never an easy process, but you got to start somewhere. As Jenna Chandler-Bohr, the founder and co-director of the Multicultural Teaching Institute says, now's the time, schools are the place, this is our work. Our schools must once and for all lead the way to equity and inclusion. This means that each school must not only reflect, 
but also affirm each student's identity. Otherwise, the whole child does not enter its doors. This is what the podcast is all about, and this is what the center strives to be. Thanks for listening, and we hope you follow us soon. Thank you.